Mad Dog. Yo. Yo. How are you, buddy? Good. How you doing? I'm doing great. I can't see you. Can you see me? I can see you. How's that? It just says Bill Miller's iPhone. What's that, buddy? There we go. Where yeah. You it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. How you been? Everything's been all right. No complaints at all. In spring training, I believe you were behind the plate scouting. I was sitting with LaJoy a lot. Bill LaJoy. Good old Bill LaJoy. Yeah. <laughs> I rem I'll never forget this. You were in front of me, I think. So we were like kind of in a line, and he said, hey, Billy, looks, looks a lot easier from back here, doesn't it? I enjoyed my conversations with Bill LaJoy. Yeah. And it is easier behind the plate. It's easier. Like, like we said, you know, we'd go up there and I'd sit with Ned during those games up in the GM uh, suite. And, um, you know, the farther away you get, the easier it looks at times. And yes, the further away you do, you, you remove yourself, whether it's scouting or up in the front office, you, you don't hear all the whispers or know what the guy's going through or what he's, you know, he's got this nagging this or that. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it gets to look real easy for sure. Yeah, that, that always stuck with me when he said that because I'm thinking to myself, it looks pretty hard from here. Bill Miller is a grinder, drafted with an injury in the 15th round of the 1993 MLB draft by the San Francisco Giants. Bill's path to becoming future American League batting champion and World Series champion was never well paved. As an undersized switch hitting infielder with little power and good on base numbers, Bill knew early in his career that he had to be true to himself and outwork the competition to reach the big leagues. He not only accomplished that feat, but played in over 1,200 MLB games over 11 seasons. To this day, it is unlikely the Missouri native would be able to buy his own drink in the city of Boston. His ninth inning game-winning RBI single in Game 4 of the 2004 ALCS was a critical contribution to the Red Sox team that brought the city its first World Series championship in 86 years. Since his retirement in 2006, Miller has worked as a special assistant to the GM, scout, and hitting coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Chicago Cubs, and St. Louis Cardinals. In part one of our conversation, we talk about how the game can look easier from the stands, potential changes to the MLB draft, facing adversity in the minor leagues, and how hitting analytics are being coached. So I, I wrote a blog post recently. I think it's because of my player development experience. I kind of bring the perspective, like I've been on the team side as an employee and now I'm an agent. And it's like I see both sides and now I have the ability to actually expound on and explain to players both sides, like what the other side's thinking when certain moves are being made, when people get promoted and demoted in the minors and, or whatever it may be, as far as the major league draft, because I always thought it was too many rounds, like 40 rounds. I remember being in the draft room and they'd be like, we'd, we'd hit round 20 and all the team was doing was really filling up roster spots for needs. So they, they would just kind of go through as opposed to like just picking best available, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I kind of felt like well, we're, we're signing these kids up and every one of these kids believes they have a chance, right? I don't care if you're, you're, you're drafted in the 39th round or the 40th round. Hey, you got a ticket. Right, like you're like, no, I got a chance. I'm in. Like, right. I'm compete against all these guys. So I always felt like the baseball, in essence, admitted to too many people into their minor league professional club to where these players, by no real fault of their own, because they don't know any better, you know, they play five, six, seven years into the minor in the minor leagues, and then 
there's an opportunity cost. They may not go back to get to the degree because now they're older and with a family and, you know, they, they really chase this dream until every ounce of juice was squeezed out of lemon. You know, now that the news is coming out that MLB perhaps wants to lower the number of draft picks in the future, of course, there's only five this year, but even in the future, I'm assuming they're going to want to bring it down from 40. I don't see it as a bad thing. And yeah, it stinks for the players that, that won't get drafted that may, may have gotten drafted if there was 40 rounds. But I think the minor league product's going to be better. I think the college baseball product's going to be better. And I think it'll give uh, more competition in the minors for prospects. They, they'll play against better players all the time as opposed to you know, having a, a little bit more watered down. So do you think I'm crazy as an agent saying, oh, go ahead, knock down the drafts? the draft rounds, and that's a good thing for players because it gives them a, a more real sense of where they are and who they are. As a, as, or it gives them a better sense of the opportunity that's awarded them. Sure. Yeah, I, I understand your side for sure. If there's a way that every major league team could own their whole minor league system, then I feel like the amount of kids that are drafted uh, could get a little bit more opportunity only because some clubs, when you go to their organization, they're saying, hey, we want to win. And so some clubs have to stack that team up a little bit, and then it depletes some of the other um, lower teams. So then you have to accumulate more bodies or more players to fill those other spaces. And then if those teams that are supposed to win there's injuries you got to fill those spots again because that team's supposed to win and that gm there at that organization wants to win where if every organization owns their clubs they don't have to worry so much of that burden or that pressure and then they can start developing these kids and not worry about you know that that win factor as far as really focus in on that development factor and still provide a good product or you know, a good team that competes, but that would maybe help with possibly some of the numbers. I don't know. It, it, it's just hard to imagine going into a season and just being at uh, the proper numbers um, because there's injuries. There's so many injuries during the year. And there's probably statistics on per organization, how many minor league injuries there are per year that allow these guys to know or help them know that there is a pocket of how many guys that we're possibly going to need for this season coming up, even though our rosters are full, that we have waiting in the wings, may, maybe in the you know lower levels, way lower levels, the, the super rookie leagues or the Arizona leagues or Florida leagues that can fill these injuries. Yeah, it's difficult because you just don't know per year how many kids are going to get hurt. But I understand, you know, you're drafted in the 48th round and feel like you have an opportunity, but you never see the field. Right. And then I just don't think that the players really get a good understanding of the actual success rate to become a big leaguer. You know, it's, I think to play one day in the big leagues as a minor leaguer, it's something like 15%. You have a 15% chance to play in the big leagues if you are any, like just pick a 15 out of 100. They're going to play in the big leagues, 85% won't. When you sign that contract as an amateur player going into pro ball, I just they're completely blinded to that. They just think they have an opportunity, which they do. I think reality takes a while to sink in after they maybe played a year or two in pro ball and competed, and and maybe it doesn't even sink in. I've seen, yeah, I've, I've dealt with players where are blindsided about being cut after four years of minor league ball, 
and only getting to, you can't get out of A-ball. So I'm sympathetic to that. And I hate when I see that. So that's kind of my perspective where these, these people, it, if they still want to play professional baseball, they can play independent ball and try to still grind their way into pro ball. I mean, that's still a possibility. My thing is by kind of going down this path blindly, they're turning their back to other opportunities that they could have done instead of pro ball. Yeah. You know, on every coaching staff is what you want is a reality coach. Yeah. <laughs> you get to the big leagues is the guy that's just going to give it to you for real instead of rub your back a little bit and pump you up. And uh, that's kind of the case and, and or the route that I like that you're taking is you're kind of saying, hey, I'm going to be the reality coach at times for you to say, here's what you're up against. This is what's happening. Here's where you are. Um, this is the path that you'll have to take in order to get there. And or this is the path that this organization wants you to take. And if you fall off that path, here are the percentages of high <laughs> of getting back up on that path or making it to the big leagues and giving them uh, a real clear perspective instead of just saying, Hey, you're doing great, you know, and rubbing their back. So I think it's important because the, a lot of people you're going to be coming into contact with are very uneducated about this whole process. And like you said, 85% of these guys are just playing so that these 15% can get better. And every now and again, you're going to get that, one, two, three, four out of the 85%. And that's what you hope you get out of that draft, that they come out of that section and become big leaguers or that 25th guy or that 26th guy or that piece that you trade away to get a 15% guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are the tough numbers. But yeah, if you continue to educate all your guys about, you know, uh, their age and how fast they need to get there or the round that they're drafted in makes a difference or sometimes their playing time or their numbers you know it all matters and you know if you're not getting much playing time and thinking you're going to make it to the big leagues you know and you got two kids in front of you that are drafted in the first and second round it, you know, there's some hard reality that needs to be given and educated towards that player. The players I've, I've talked to, a lot of times I tell them, you are part of this organization, but you're really playing for all 30 teams. You know, that there's scouts so you can get traded. There's The depth charts mean something in the short term, but don't let the depth charts of your organization, like whether there may be a, a player or two blocking you from moving as quick as you want to or you could maybe in another organization, but take the mindset that I'm playing for the scouts as well. Oh, yeah. You you are always marketing yourself anytime you take that field. It is 100%. You are uh, playing for every major league club out there. Every manager writes notes, uh, takes game notes, and, and handles uh, their reports at the end of the game. You know, organizations take part into asking their minor league coaches, the players that they thought on other teams and other organizations uh, played well or outperformed uh, you know, maybe they're who they were, who they thought they were. And, you know, it's a, it's a very much your, your managers in the minor leagues relaying information to help in the future, maybe a trade and or relating with the scout that went in there and saw that other team. And, and, you know, you can match those, those evaluations and that helps perform and, and or get a trade accomplished. So sure, yeah, anytime that you're playing that man, other manager and those other guys are 
always evaluating. You're always being evaluated at any moment out there on that playing field, which is a good thing or a bad thing. You can upgrade yourself by how you handle yourself and how you improve year to year and or you can downgrade yourself with your attitude and, and uh, uh, not working as hard in the off season and, and, and downgrading yourself as well. Even just being a good teammate gets noticed by the scouts, right? Yeah, I think it, it's a full package thing. Right. It, it, being a t- good teammate sometimes is being selfless, you know, out on the field as far as uh, moving runners over or having a good at bat as far as 12 pitch at bat, not hanging your head if you struck out at, at the time and coming in and, and pumping other guys up or, or, you know, doing whatever it takes to, to help your team win that night or post when you're not feeling good or you're struggling with some injuries uh, because the, the team knows how important you are to the lineup as for maybe defense or maybe, uh, you know, the relief arm that is needed. So yeah, it, it all, it all matters. They ask all those questions about everything, just not st- statistically about, they want to know the individual because that's the one piece these scouts miss when they come in to watch a, a game is they don't know the actual person. They don't really know the work ethic sometimes they can kind of see if they get there early if he's taking some extra hitting or you know nowadays we don't do they don't do infield outfield work prior they just do it all during bp and so some some things are missed a little bit on evaluation so to hear about that person's character and hear it from other guys on the team or the coach or other scouts or whatever yeah it's important that being a well-rounded person uh, is important you were a 15th rounder right in the draft yeah so you didn't have you know, a clear, you know, guaranteed path to the big leagues. You drafted, you, you knew you had to earn it. Yeah, it, that's funny. Nobody does, even the first rounders. I mean, they're going to be given more opportunity, but it's not guaranteed. And anytime you're, you know, you're kind of at a clean slate, whether, you know, again, the 30th rounder compared to the second rounder, yeah, the second rounder is going to have many more opportunities if he gets hurt. Or if the numbers aren't showing up correctly, like he hits 240 one year, he's going to be either given a chance to repeat that with the starting job or get moved up again with the starting job. So they're going to get those types of opportunities where that 30th rounder, if he hits 240, um, he may be released. So, um, yeah, there's the thing about the potential and the money and or the position that's uh might be there might be too many guys in in line um that are top round guys that they've been given their investment in into so sure yeah the, but you're never guaranteed anything even if you're a first rounder there's a lot of first rounders that didn't make it but they've been given a lot more chances and you know again you got to stay healthy and you got to put up numbers no matter really who you are to show and prove that uh, you belong to, you know, move to the next level and or make it to the big leagues. So what kind of, what kind of adversity, I don't think I've ever asked you this, but like when you were going through the minor leagues, what was some of the bigger adversity you dealt with in trying to get to the big leagues? Was it competition? Um, was it depth chart? Was it, you know, coaches? Me personally? Yeah. If you take yourself back, that journey from being signed to getting to so the So I got the Giants drafted me. I had um, – torn a ligament in my right arm going to a Yankee tryout camp in Creighton and uh, had sprained one of my ligaments. So they, we let them know, uh, one of the scouts that was um, been, had followed me for four years at 
Southwest Missouri, which is now Missouri State to high school, to, you know, been around me a lot. And I just had let them know that if they were interested, I had possibly hurt my arm and I'm okay, but it's going to take a little bit of time to heal. So once I got drafted, I was kind of up against it because they they still drafted me, which was amazing, which is awesome. Uh, but I was like fourth on the depth chart then. And that was behind actually a guy that was a repeat guy that was there the year before. And they also moved me to a different position I'd never played before, which is second base. And it was kind of like, you know, they had the top round guy, uh, shortstop, that had just been a sandwich pick. And then they had a third baseman that was kind of a repeat guy, but they also had other guys that they drafted. And then at second base, they had a, uh, a guy that was coming back from last year's draft playing there as well. And then they had three other guys that were kind of in the mix as well. So a lot of guys, you know, there's 50 guys that show up here all one time. They moved one second baseman up to low A ball at the time. And then so slowly as I continued to get better, the first second baseman that was held back broke his thumb. Then they moved another guy over there. He started playing. He ran into our shortstop and broke his jaw. And then the third second baseman was going to take a guy out at home plate and towards ACL. And then I healed. And then I went in as the second baseman and never came out. <laughs> so it started against all odds, right? And then, you know, I played well. And I remember my uh, my meeting at the end. Norm Cherry pulled me in and said, hey, I want to congratulate you on a really good season. It wasn't so much homers or RBIs or anything. He pointed out to me of my strikeout to walk ratio and how many walks I had compared to how many less of uh, strikeouts I, I had. And that was kind of eye-opening because – you know, in my mind, it was just all about average for me. And to him to view that you played well, but here are some details that you may have not ever thought of about how you really played well is this walk to strikeout ratio. And so that was kind of cool to understand about on base percentage then for the first time thinking about that, you know, of not just the average or the home runs or the RBIs, to see the game in, in a little bit different light. And that was, that was pretty inspiring. That was something that you were naturally good at, let's say, but then it took a coach to point that out and then you could really zone in on it. Yeah. It, it, and it gave me confidence that, you know, they weren't just looking at homers or RBIs too. And that was a good feeling because when you first get drafted, you're up against, do I belong here? Can I can compete here? You know, where's the measuring stick? Is the competition going to be too great for me? Am I going to be able to handle all this? And luckily for me, being um, prior to all that, playing in summer leagues that the competition was very high, that's where you could start measuring yourself to once you got in this big moment of being drafted and playing around all these talented players you notice two, three, four guys on each team that you had already competed against in other leagues or in other conferences. And that could help you. And that helped me sustain that I could play here, I could compete, and I could excel. So every year was just reproving that and proving that you could perform. And, you know, again, it, it, it mattered staying healthy but you can perform at that level and then help your team and develop into the, 
individual or it always helped There's one thing that was super important is know yourself and at the time after norm had that meeting that really solidified me knowing who i was and that helped me at every level that i was an on-base guy i was unselfish i was an average guy meaning you know i didn't worry about hitting home runs or driving in runs you know i was kind of a top of the order person and uh, i was going to do whatever it took to get on base um, maybe steal bases, whatever it was, but uh, I was to do whatever it took to help the team from those top positions. And that's helped me because I tried not to be, not play out of that. And that helped me uh, sustain something I could control and I could manage mentally as well as physically. As far as like the way players are evaluated today compared to back then, like you just talked about a lot of stuff that is kind of subjective. A lot of evaluators put more uh, value into the stuff we just talked about more than the stuff they do now. As far as like the new analytics, launch angle, exit velo off the bat, um, they can see a lot more through the technology that's out now. A, do you think you would have got the same opportunity if that stuff was around back then? And then B, like, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Like, do you th- is there is there some some of this some of these analytics and technologies that like are actually really good for evaluating hitters? And do you think there's some aspects of it that like, hey, you're overlooking something? You're overlooking some of the things I did well back in the Myers. Sure, I think there's there's good and bad. Chris, it's it's um, it's a good tool to have first and everything. Um, I think where they're they're lacking is them being able to to upgrade those numbers or solve those numbers. You know, if they're not at major league average or minor league average, and they don't have enough people to help those guys excel because um, they they don't know how to solve it yet, um, which is okay, someday they will. That would be job security for me because that would be my selling point is I have the experience and or the ability to help them, which has been proven with the guys that I've coached before. But again, whether your numbers aren't major league average or whatever, and you're still having success, there's a piece of of organizations that want that guy because um, he's finding a way on how to help his team or how to win or how to succeed or how to uh, survive and those are good qualities to have and if you get the right person in place to help him improve those numbers 100% those numbers are still you know what we've been seeing for the years in the game they've just put a different label on it and now they've put some numbers to show where you know the other numbers that uh, were out there were probably line drives or hard hits you know what I mean but I think the biggest thing about all these numbers is how are you going to solve those numbers? How are you going to improve those numbers? How are you going to make those numbers better? And that's, I think we have all these numbers, but where are the solutions to make all these minor leaguers better or to make that big league guy that's not having a good year, why or improve him, you know? And uh, I think that's the biggest area where we're at. It's not so much of, yeah, we got all these numbers. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, it's kind of like, uh, in my end, we see it at the big league level of, yeah, I know he's he's below exit velocity and his launch angles below major league average. We knew that just by watching his swings and his game. I don't need a piece of paper with a number on it. But how do we, in the in the cage and through video and all these other things, how do we start bridging that gap 
to upgrade that launch angle and, and accelerate that exit velocity. And I feel like through John Mabry and myself or Mike Brumley or whoever it was, uh, Jeff Pentland, we have the ability and the experience to help start bridging that gap to upgrade those numbers. Is it um, a different way of some of these guys looking at the game? Sure, that's fine, but it's still the same game. It's still finding a solution to get those numbers better at right. all times. Do you have an opinion on the topic of launch angle? It's, it seems to be something that a lot of people focus on now. It used to be where hitters would focus on hitting down on the ball, and now it's, it's kind of changed the conversation. Is, do you have any opinion on that? So minute, that launch angle stuff, it, you just have to teach the right body movements, and then that upgrades. Uh, it's not a upward swing, which everybody thinks, but that's job security on our end. We want people to think that. So, you know, guys like me sitting at home can get a job again someday right. when stuff kind of hits the fan. This is just, look, if, if, if front office people need those numbers or that launch angle information to help with that, help them see the game because for us we already see it uh, then that's fine and we can explain to them how how it's going to either improve or why it's it's not improving or why it's declining we can explain to them why through the, what's going on through their body and how their approaches or maybe that's their confidence or there's maybe three of those all wrapped into one and so it then helps us communicate to them or them communicate to us as far as evaluating this guy or projecting this guy or evaluating our own uh, year, you know, like this guy's launch angle improved or this guy's launch angle uh, decreased or their exit velocity. But yeah, it, it's, it's okay. Um, again, it, we're all trying to get these guys to be better hitters. And how you want to go about that is as far as describing what they're doing as far as number-wise, it's great. But not everybody's going to hit 300. So how do we get all the rest of these guys from 200 to 295 or 299 to get better or improve? And that's what we should be focusing on, not just these numbers of launch angle. or it's What's the solution? We got to get a solution to get these guys better. And, and we can tell you why, again, we can tend to tell you why these are below average, or we can show you why they're above average. And there's principles in hitting that have to be applied in order to either sustain or survive at the big league level, or you will not. And that's what we teach or how we go about introducing a solution when maybe their launch angle is poor. My perspective was, and it took me a while to realize this, but my, my perspective was exactly kind of what you're talking about, where they can't see it. So they have to see it through the numbers. True. Like, 100%. so baseball people are trained to see it. Yeah, it helps them be in the game and or evaluate uh, what they have as far as the players and or evaluate who's teaching them. They, these put numbers on so it helps them now connect some dots for themselves. Because when they watch the game, they don't see it the same way as we do. Yeah, and, and it took me a while to realize that. And then I, the next thing I realized was there's a huge disconnect between the front off, the new front office type person and the old school baseball person who's actually teaching it on the ground. Yes. So it, it, it would take some time to find the – either to bridge the gap or to find the hybrid type of person, put them into the game that, knew, that could do both. 
that could see right. the analytics and actually see the baseball. So you get the analytics oriented baseball players that now after they play can actually be like that hybrid type in front offices that can help bridge the gap between the front office and the, the field staff. Yeah, uh, like a spokesman. Because the last thing that you want to do with any players talk about a number, right? So because that's not going to be really a, a way of having a solution for them. So the solutions are about sometimes you got to change body movements or you got to change how they think or their approach. And so the numbers will be for us to absorb so that we can go out there and be on the ground floor to upgrade them mentally and or physically and do it in a, in a fashion that either we manipulated to make them believe that it was their idea or we perform in a sense of planting new seeds to grow from our end that it's our idea. And it's never my idea. It's always ours and or it's his. You know, you're always uh, trying to build this relationship so that eventually the more information you give them, the more they trust you and that they can absorb more and more information. So the first moment of when they ask you, hey, what am I doing wrong? You already have done your homework to have somewhat of a solution in place right there on hand, on the field to help them be better. That's the start of the relationship that once they see the difference that they are improving or it did make a difference, now you can get moving where sometimes the disconnect is, well, some of the guys are like, well, I got to wait to watch or run the numbers first to see what you're doing wrong. And there's the disconnect is they're not getting a play-by-play right at the moment when they're doing it to see improvement. And sometimes seeing a number or being told a number isn't that there's no concrete uh, physical change or mental change. Well, I mean, if you give a player a number, here's, here's your numbers, the next question in the player's mind is going to be how. Okay, how do I improve that? That's right. right? Then the, the numbers don't explain how. Right. right. That's right. Thanks for listening. Your support is greatly appreciated, so please subscribe, like, and leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We will see you next week with another Mound Visit.